Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was speaking about the woman at the well that Jesus was speaking with, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous broadcast, I was explaining that the Lord Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman about the gospel. Not the gospel of the kingdom that he was presenting to the Jews, but the true gospel of the restoration of a relationship with the living God. The Lord Jesus was speaking to this woman, the Samaritan, and she was not considered to be a Jew. She was not really officially considered to be an Israelite. He was speaking to her about him being there to meet the very deepest needs of her heart, that he has a gift that can be given to her that is described as living water, water that she can receive that will spring up within her, a source of water that will meet all of her needs to the point where she will experience everlasting life. This is described in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 10, where he said, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And then in verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, referring to the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And so the Lord Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman about the gospel, the gospel in the context of the free gift of the life of God that will indwell within an individual who is willing to receive it freely as a free gift on the basis of the mercy of God. The Lord Jesus made provision for this when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. Before that time, before the time that he rose from the dead and provided the opportunity for us to receive this living water, this free gift of God, before that time he was ministering to the Jews in the context of him being the Messiah, in the context of him being the Messianic King. And so what he was offering to the Jews during the beginning of his ministry was himself in the context of him being their messianic king. That was what he was offering to them. They were given an opportunity to recognize him as the king of Israel, in which case then they would be able to reestablish the official kingdom of Israel. Now, of course, if they did that, then the Lord Jesus would be captured by the Romans and executed for sedition. And however that would play out, I'm confident that it would play out in such a way that he would die for the sins of the people. But since the people rejected him as the messianic king, they still, through their rejection of him, they set him up to be captured by the Romans and be crucified for sedition. And so it still occurred, it still happened, regardless of whether or not the people accepted him or rejected him as the Messiah, he was certainly still going to accomplish what he came to accomplish, which was his death, burial, and resurrection so that he could present salvation to all humanity. But to the Samaritans, who were not the Jews, who were not looking for the messianic king as the Jews were looking for a messianic king, he presented the gospel to the Samaritans right away. 
early in his ministry, when he spoke to them, when he reached out to them, he spoke to them and reached out to them on the basis of the gospel that was going to go into effect in the future, but was not really officially in effect now, which would be consistent if you consider the fact that he was speaking to a non-Jewish person, a non-Jewish population, a group of people who were not really looking to him as the Messiah in the same way that the Jews were looking for a Messiah. The Samaritans did have a belief concerning the Messiah, but it was different from the Jews. And I will explain that in just a few minutes. But in verse 15, the woman responded to him by saying, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. Now, for her to respond this way, for her to say, go ahead and give me the water that you are referring to, says that she does not really understand the depth of what he is describing. And, of course, that's perfectly reasonable when you consider the fact that the gospel was not officially presented through his death, burial, and resurrection. It wasn't really made available to people at that point in history. He could certainly proclaim it, but it had not yet gone in effect, and she certainly would not have any idea what he's really talking about in terms of the restoration of the living God within his people as the free gift that would meet the very deepest needs of their heart so that they could know him and experience a relationship with him. And through knowing him and the one who he has sent, they would then experience eternal life, eternal life now and eternal life in heaven when they do physically die. This is something that would be foreign to her. And so for her to respond in the way that she did is considered to be appropriate. She says, go ahead and give me this water, and so I don't have to come here anymore. But what she's making an association with is the water that he's speaking of versus the water that's at the well. She is making the assumption, or it appears that she is making the assumption, that he's talking about some magical water that he can give her so that she would no longer have to come to the well to draw for any water. He's not talking about that. He's using the subject of living water and the satisfaction that can be provided as a free gift of God. He's using that in order to describe what the living God really wants to provide for her freely, not for the benefit of her flesh, but for the benefit of her heart, for the benefit of her spirit. That's something that's very different. And so the Lord Jesus responds in verse 16. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Now many people have commented on this throughout the history of the church, and so I'm not going to give the traditional explanation that most people give concerning this. I'd like to mention this in the context of the Lord Jesus speaking to her at the well. And that is that she would see him speaking to her as an opportunity for her to be considered as a wife to either him or someone who he knows. That was the arrangement in that society that a man would not speak to a woman in public under any circumstances except for at the public well where he could ask her for a drink of water and that would let her know that he has a personal interest in her in some regard and she could respond in a way that would let him know that she also would have a similar interest or not. And I explained this in the previous broadcast. In this broadcast, I would just like to emphasize the fact that in this context, the woman is responding to his request that she go get her husband by saying that she has no husband, which would mean 
that she is saying that she is available. That's effectively what would be conveyed by her responding to him in that way. I don't have a husband. I'm available, especially to you, because you're a Jew, and deep down inside, all Samaritans want to be accepted by the Jews because of the aggressive rejection that the Jews have levied on the Samaritans throughout many centuries. Now, here is an opportunity where a Samaritan woman can perhaps be accepted and embraced by a Jewish man. Therefore, certainly she would be willing to say that she has no husband in order to suggest that she is available for him to take out of her current situation, that she is certainly living with a man that is not really officially recognized to be her husband, that she's drawing water at a well during a time of day where there would be the fewest number of people possibly there looking for water, probably because she was not looked upon very highly in her community, this would be a way out. This would be an opportunity to escape the situation that she's in. But then when the Lord Jesus responds by saying, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, this you have said truly, how does she react? How does she then respond? She responds by changing the subject. That's how she responds. He apparently initiates the change of subject. However, I believe by doing so, he is making it clear to her that he is not interested in her in the traditional way that people would normally assume that he is interested in her, but that he is interested in her in a different context, for a different purpose, in a different way. He wants to tell her about the living God and the free gift of eternal life. And so he's not really changing the subject, he's only clearing the deck. He's only clearing the matter, clearing the air, to let her know that this is about something else. This is about something different. This is not about me flirting with you. This is about something real, something spiritual, something about our God. And so she changes the subject. She changes the subject away from the specifics of this living water that the Lord Jesus is speaking to her about. She changes the subject and shifts it over to the subject of prophecy and to one of the primary conflicts that separated the Samaritans from the Jews. In verse 19, this is John chapter 4, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And so there's an obvious attempt from her to change the subject, and the Lord Jesus rolls with that for a little bit, and then he comes back to the important issue that the Lord Jesus is wanting to talk with her about, and that is that the Father is seeking people. He is seeking a relationship with them, not the Lord Jesus seeking a relationship with her, as she is assuming, but that the living God wants to experience a relationship with her to meet the true deepest needs of her heart. Certainly, the husbands that she has had previously, the relationships that she has had previously were engaged in on the basis of her assuming that they would meet her needs, only to discover that they didn't. 
and either she was a poor wife or they were a poor husband, or more likely a combination of the two, no matter how that played out, no matter how those relationships played out, there was still this deep longing in the core of her being, a thirst that was not being fulfilled, that only the living God can fulfill. And so she recognizes him as a prophet, and then goes right into the issues between the Jews and the Samaritans. And of course, I explain this in more detail in the programs that I did on the history of the Samaritans. And so, of course, I would like to encourage you to listen to those programs and so that you can get a greater understanding concerning this specific conflict. However, she mentions that there was a disagreement between the Jews and the Samaritans with regards to where they should worship, that the Jews believed and taught and lived in accordance with Jerusalem being the place of worship, and the Samaritans believed and lived in accordance with their belief that they should worship on Mount Gerizim in their local region. Of course, this situation was very complicated, and I explained that in the programs that I just referred to. However, the Samaritan woman goes right to the point in this case, in this context, and presents this issue to the Lord Jesus, saying that we are not certain where we should be worshiping. Should we be worshiping on this mountain or that mountain and this city and that city, at this temple or that temple? And the Lord Jesus speaks directly to the issue right there, right then. He says very clearly in verse 22, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But, but, see, regardless of whether they worship what they know or they worship what they don't know, or whether the Jews worship what they know, or whether they worship what they don't know. That is of no substance. Neither one are correct, neither the Samaritans or the Jews in this case. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. He does not seek worship in a place He does not seek worship on a mountain, or in a community, or in a temple, or in a church, or anywhere for that matter. He doesn't care about that kind of worship. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for people to worship him in the very core of their spirit, on the basis of what is true. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for people to worship in their spirit, on the basis of truth. In verse 24 John chapter 4, verse 24, the Lord Jesus said that God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And, of course, the Samaritan woman had no idea what he was talking about. She had asked him a question about truth. Is it true that we should worship in Jerusalem, or is it true that we should worship on Mount Gerizim, according to the Samaritan theology? And the Lord Jesus says that that is not the truth. The truth is not about where you go where you worship, or how you worship necessarily in those contexts. What is important is that you worship him in the very core of your being on the basis of what is true. And those issues have nothing to do with that, have nothing to do with that. And so what does the woman say in verse 25? The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Well, that's convenient. First of all, she has no idea what the Lord Jesus is talking about. And second of all, she doesn't really care. She may be asking him questions, but she's obviously not really that interested in the answers. Unless, of course, they conform to what she probably already believes. 
And so the way that she deals with it is simply by saying that when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us. I may not know, you may not know, but the Messiah knows, and so when he comes, he'll resolve this issue. In other words, she as a Samaritan quite likely will be wanting to believe what she already believes, and she is willing to allow the Jew, Jesus, to believe whatever he wants to believe. And instead of trying to argue this issue and settle it right then and there at the well, instead of trying to resolve it right then and there, she will just simply say, don't worry, when the Messiah comes, he will straighten all things out. Well, then who is the Messiah? How is she going to know who the Messiah is? The Jews know who they worship. They know the living God. They have enough evidence to show them who he is, according to what he has revealed They have enough to know who they worship and the legitimacy of who the Messiah is going to be, even though they rejected him, even though they made a choice to ignore the evidence and to ignore the testimony. They can do that, and they did do that. The Jews did do that, for the most part, with few exceptions. But the Samaritans, on the other hand, when she speaks about the Messiah, it's important to understand that her Messiah is not the same Messiah as the Jews. When she speaks about the Messiah, she's speaking about a different kind of Messiah. The Messiah, according to the Samaritans, was not the Messiah of the Jews. The Messiah of the Jews was well expressed through the prophets and the writings. And the Samaritans rejected the prophets and the writings. They rejected those writings as being legitimate for many reasons, and I explained those in the historical programs I did on the history of the Samaritans, of course, But it's important to see right now, just in this context, that their Messiah would be a very different Messiah. Who would their Messiah be? Well, there is no official definition in terms of what their Messiah is going to be or what he is going to do, except for here. This is what we have. We have the evidence given here that she believes that the Messiah is going to resolve this conflict, that the Messiah is going to resolve the conflicts between the Jews and the Samaritans. And I believe that it would take a Messiah in order to accomplish that, certainly not in the way that the Samaritans were expecting, and certainly not in the way that the Jews were expecting, but the Messiah did, and he did that by instituting the new covenant and inviting both the Jews and the Samaritans to come to him on the basis of the new covenant and become a new creation in Christ Jesus according to the new covenant, not according to the old. That's how he did accomplish that and how he did resolve this conflict. The conflict had to do with, first of all, where do we worship? And of course, the Lord Jesus says very clearly that it doesn't matter where you worship, and it will never, ever, ever matter where you worship. Even today, where you worship means absolutely nothing. The only thing that has any meaning in the context of worship is that you present yourself to your God to receive all that he has for you to acknowledge and recognize him in the core of your being, that he exists for the purpose of meeting the very deep needs of your heart, to allow him to give to you freely what you have a need for. That is your worship, to receive what he has for you freely. And what he has for you freely, to give to you freely, is available freely because of the truth of what he has already done for you. That is the foundation for the gospel. And so while the Samaritans were believing that the Messiah would come and resolve the conflict of where do we worship, well, he certainly did come to resolve that conflict. 
and he resolved it by saying, it doesn't matter anymore. That issue is no longer an issue. The only thing that matters is salvation through the restoration of life, and this life will never depart from within you because there is no sin left unforgiven that could possibly cause this life to depart from within you. And, of course, the other conflict, the other matter between the Samaritans and the Jews would also be resolved because the Jews were not looking at the Samaritans as Israelites. Most of them probably were not legitimate Israelites. That certainly could be understandable. And the Samaritans were not very confident in looking at the Jews as being legitimate people of God either because of the rejection that was taking place between the two people groups in context of Pharisaical Judaism and other issues in terms of how they would recognize somebody as officially being a child of Abraham, all those things were resolved. They were resolved through the new covenant, through the gospel that was presented through the Lord Jesus. And so what did he say in response? In John chapter 4, verse 26, it says, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. There is no clearer statement than that that I know of in the scriptures of the Lord Jesus saying directly, I am the Messiah. He says this to the Samaritan. He says this to a person who was considered to be a foreigner, who was not considered to be a part of the nation of Israel at all. He says very clearly, I am the Messiah. Make no mistake, I am He. And what I tell you is important. And you'd better pay attention, because this is the truth. And this is what your God wants you to know, wants you to believe, wants you to acknowledge. He wants you to worship Him by believing the truth that is being revealed to you right now, that I am He. It says in verse 27, at this point His disciples came, and they were amazed that He had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? Obviously not. How dare they speak to him that way or ask him a question such as that? If they recognize him as the Messiah, if he wants to talk to a lady, by all means, he can talk to a lady, especially at a well even. Yeah, he can do that. We're not going to ask, Jesus, what are you doing? Are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling like you need a wife? Are you are you thinking about somebody else, perhaps? Do you want this woman to marry? What are you doing? Why are you speaking with her, especially alone? We went into town. We come back and we see you here with her, talking with her. It's totally out of bounds, totally out of the cultural boundaries that were considered to be acceptable at that time, especially him being a Jew speaking with a Samaritan woman. So in this case, this is a wonderful example of just don't ask and don't tell. Whatever you're doing, you go ahead and do it. We're just not going to ask you about it. John recorded it in his gospel. Nobody else seemed to be brave enough to record it in their gospels. I just find the situation to be relatively humorous in that context. And so in verse 28, So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. And meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The food, of course, that he is referring to is the food of ministering to others, of giving to others out of the abundance of what the Lord his God has already given to him, that the water that he depended on, the food that he depended on, was spiritual in nature, that it met the deepest needs that he had in his spirit, not in his flesh, but in his spirit. 
and through the deep satisfaction that would overwhelm him in this context, he would have no need to have food. Fasting would be very trivial in that context, that his food and his work and his life was all about sharing with others the truth of the living God so that they would have an opportunity to worship him by receiving what he has to give to them freely, the free gift of eternal life. I honestly believe that probably the most important part of this interaction, this interaction between the Lord Jesus and the Samaritan woman, is to recognize that he said that he seeks people to worship him on the basis of spirit and truth, in the very core of their spirit, on the basis of what is true. In so many circumstances, in so many cases, people are totally consumed, it seems, with where they go to worship, what church they are a part of, what church they are not a part of, how they exercise their worship, or how they do not exercise their worship, what kind of liturgy that they have, or the lack thereof. People seem to be so consumed with this that they can easily miss out on the most important thing of all, and that is that the Lord Jesus wants to meet the deepest needs of your spirit, and he wants you to know the truth. And in that, he sincerely wants you, that it is you who he wants. He seeks you to worship him. And this worship is very unique in contrast or in comparison with any other worship that has ever been defined or described by anyone, because all worship that has always been described or exercised in the world has always been about how we might serve God or on the basis of what we might give to Him. But this is totally different. This is on the basis of how He may serve us and what He may give to us. And what He gives to us is Himself. He serves us by the giving of Himself to meet the deepest needs that we have, the need for love and acceptance, meaning and purpose, safety and security, respect and honor, all these things, all these issues that we have, that we have a need to have met, He meets because He created us in such a way that only He could do that. This is a unique worship that can only be experienced on the basis of the truth of what He has already done for us by no longer holding our sins against us ever again. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,